Yeah. So I'm James. Obviously, a lot of you know who I am, but I'm a member here at Wayne Family Church. I've been for some time, <clears throat> and um, at the moment, I've been asked to preach. And at the moment, we're going through a series called "The Commands of Christ." Is that right? That's what it's called. Yes, it's Commands of Christ. So we're looking at uh, different elements of what it means to be a Christian, to live a Christian life, and the um, the aspect that we're looking at this morning is prayer. And I have to forgive me because I have not spent half as much time as I usually would do preparing for this. So if I stop and have like a just a painful look at my face, I'm thinking, and I will try and catch up with my thoughts and get back to you as soon as possible. <laughs> so, um, so what we're going to look at is Matthew 6. Verse 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it brings light to our lives. I thank you, Lord, for the the prophetic words we've had already this morning. Father, I ask that you would you would move amongst us. Lord, where hearts may be challenged by the thought of prayer and their prayer life and how significant people's prayers are. Lord, I pray you would embolden us and impassion us again with how good it is to pray and the power that we have when we come together and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So hopefully, yes, I'm going to equip us further in understanding the subject of prayer. And Jesus kind of launches in with some pretty strong language that I wanted to pick up on firstly. That being calling people hypocrites and heap up empty phrases. They're quite strong words to use. And I think that's because prayer matters. 
Why does it matter? Because it's how we communicate with God. We don't really have much more in our arsenal in terms of speaking to God other than our prayer life. It's really important. Arguably, you can't even accept Jesus into your life unless you accept that speaking words to him is going to, um, that, that the speaking words to him is going to make God respond in some kind of way. That's how crucial it is and how fundamental prayer is. And it comes in many forms. Uh, we have our petition and intercession when we're praying for ourselves or other people. If we're praying for healing or we're praying for God to release someone from something, that's our, our petition, our intercessionary prayers. Uh, there's our praise and our thanksgiving, like what we've seen this morning with our worship and words of praise to God. That is our prayer to God. And how we engage in spiritual gifts like prophecy, like we've had this morning. It's, it's that sense of communication, God speaking to us through our prayer life. I'm afraid I'm not very good at giving pithy uh, uh, kind of, um, what's the word, points. <laughs> pithy points or, or things, you know, when they get like four points and they all have the same first letter or anything like that. So my first point is this, hypocrisy, thy name is religion. <laughs> the example that Jesus gives us in this passage in Matthew is a perfect picture of this. The religious person who stands in the synagogue or the Jewish church at the time and delivers what I imagine to be a wonderfully constructed and thoughtfully worded prayer. Is there a problem with that? Gary says yes. Well, in a sense, I want to say no. I've, I've, been, I've been blessed by people pray, prayers before, and their words can be very eloquent and, and shows a certain mastery of the English language that personally I rival. <laughs> but as we read on, we see that Jesus points out the difference here between religiousness and faithfulness. It's how we conduct ourselves in our public, public lives should be a reflection, really, of what we are doing in our private lives. It's useless to come here and pray on a Sunday and say, bless you, Lord, I bless you, in front of the church and everyone, when actually in private there's not really any evidence that you are blessing the Lord much or acting in a way that would bless him or prayers that resemble that. This is the hypocrisy that religiousness uh, brings. And ultimately, it brings spiritual, spiritual death. It's a little bit like wearing a mask. Everyone looks very serious at me. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. It's a bit like wearing a mask, though. I, I was in Budmouth the other day. It was my old school, my old college. And 
they have these masks that they wear and they usually put them on when they're like open days and you basically go around like a crazy person acting all deep and artistic and all this sort of thing. Um, and obviously on the mask, there's a certain picture that the mask is trying to show. So you can be happy or sad and all the rest of it. But actually inside, that person isn't feeling that way. This is just the mask pretending to be something. Don't wear the mask of religiousness. Don't put it on. Don't act. You've been saved by grace, not by law. You're, you no longer have a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. You're not to be slaves to religion, church, but set free by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and freedom in prayer. Pray with the faith you have. And for some people, that's difficult. I know I've been there because you kind of think, Lord, do I, do I really think you're going to heal in this situation? Do I really believe that this is going to happen? But it's better to be aware of where you're at and pray with the faith that you have than to put on an act. It's much better to be real with what you believe because then you can move forward. Then you can take steps. The act kind of comes away and the real you is there and you are able then to progress forward and not be in some state of disillusion over where you are at in your prayer life or what you believe. And actually, you may even surprise yourself about where you are in terms of your prayer life. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. This is another very serious passage, everyone, so keep the serious faces. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The tragic irony of the picture that Jesus has given us here of our religious person making prayers but lacking faith is that really their only reward is going to be human adulation. Oh, what wonderful prayers. They must have a very deep and spiritual kind of life. Despite their intention of going to the synagogue and pray, their motivation is really just to impress others. So does this mean that we shouldn't pray out loud uh, in front of the church? Because we do. Should we do that? Yes, of course we should. The Bible gives us examples of this. Corporate prayer and worship is very scriptural. In 1 Corinthians, it says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all these things be done for building up. 
My point is quite well summed up in that final sentence in Corinthians. That, again, on Sunday, we are, what we are offering is a reflection of our private lives, and it's to build us up. It's not to build ourselves up into looking like, oh, wonderful, excellent Christian person who can put a great prayer together, but builds and edifies the church in spiritual things, in the things of God. On a practical level, that means our prayers do not need to be long or loquacious. Thank you very much. You know, everyone's so surprised that I could say a word like that. That's terrible, isn't it? Come on, guys. <laughs> Testing the limits of our vocabulary or the understanding of the situation at hand. A simple prayer can be very, very powerful. Last week, Emmy said to me, and I said this actually in the prayer meeting in there. She said, "Where?" this kind of relates, it's just come to me, but... Um, this, she said, how does a flower come from a, a seed? And it got me thinking of the, the parable of the mustard seed. It's so true. Something so simple can bring about so much of the kingdom of God, more than you realize. Um, and actually, the, 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 the passage here, Jesus is trying to... Um, it's highlighting some of the pagan kind of rituals that were going on where, where pagans would go around repeating the names of their gods over and over again and phrases, repeating them over and over again, like minus automatons, automatons, automatons. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. It didn't say that in my... Sorry? I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I do, I think there are examples of it in society today. Yeah, so there's, there's um, the Hare Krishna group, for example, who'd repeat, yeah, Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, not good. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the, the idea of just repeating words over and over in our head. So um, the picture that came to me in Corinthians is this idea of, um, in, sorry, in Corinthians, if I speak, in the tongues of men and angels. I have not love, but I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The idea here is that actually we don't want to be just clanging cymbals, but rather people who are, uh, are sincerely engaged and faithfully engaged in prayer. And ultimately the truth is before you even opened your mouth, to speak, your Father in heaven knows what you need. So why do we pray? We've asked that question already, haven't I? 
Well, if hypocrisy thy name is religion, then faith thy name is prayer. We're acting on our faith as we pray. It's an act of trust. Like I said in the beginning, we, can't, we cannot accept Christ unless we have some trust that when we say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me, whether out loud or quietly to ourselves, that God is going to respond to that request. Another truth is there's a big gap from going, Lord Jesus, please forgive me, to Lord Jesus, please heal this broken leg. It is a big gap. But that's why we step out in faith. That's why we want to know where we are personally with God and be real. We don't want to wear that mask of religiousness. We're not about that. We don't want to be deceived into thinking um, that we are where we're not. But rather, now here is where I am. And in faith, I'm going to confidently step out and start praying. And then once you see God move, okay, right, we're going to step out again and see God move again. I mean, the real headbender is, would God have done it if he didn't pray anyway, if he was going to do it? Which is kind of like on the edges of the sovereignty of God versus the responsibility of man debate, which I'm not going to go into right now um, because we haven't got time. But to say this, James 4 says, "You you do not have because you do not ask. And in Luke, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Have faith and trust that your Father in heaven knows what you need and respond to you when you step out and ask. So that's kind of section one, how not to pray. We're going to go to something less, <laughs> less serious now. Uh, no, how not to pray. So we're going to look at how to pray. So we're going to look at this section. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is this prayer exactly? Is it what we should be saying every day? You can say it every day. You absolutely can say it every day. It's in Scripture. But I'd argue that your prayer life isn't going to grow if you're just sticking to this prayer every day. It's a good prayer, solid prayer, but your prayer life is only going to go so far. So it's a kind of a blueprint for how we should be praying. So we're going to look at the first word, our. The very first word that we say. So what's the first thing that the enemy wants to do 
to us when you're a new believer in particular? Isolate us. Destroy us. Isolate us. Exactly. He wants to isolate you. He wants to make you feel insignificant. Particularly if you just met Jesus. Pray for new believers in yourself. Remind yourself that you are set apart from others, but at the same time, you've been adopted into a family of believers. You are not alone. You are not insignificant. You are a warrior in Christ. Your Father in heaven hears your prayers and you are loved. This is a us and our thing rather than a me and mine thing. Our Father. As we're thinking about this passage, not only as kind of Christians who may have been on a journey with God for some time, but also considering it through the lens of a, of a new believer, we need to stop here for a moment. Because we know that fatherhood in the Bible or fatherhood as we associate it to God is not the same as an earthly father. And thank God. I have an extremely fractious relationship with my father and often feel let down by him. And it's taken me an incredibly long amount of time to be able to relate to God as a father because of that. Father can have devastating meanings for people. Could mean distant, aggressive, heavy-handed, unavailable, or just not there. When we say our father, we are meaning those aspects of fatherhood that are warm, caring, protective, approachable, which are all parts of God's character. Have no doubt about that. Your Father in heaven loves you. So how can we feel secure that our Father is all these things? Because our Father is not an earthly Father, limited by flesh and by sin, but a Father who is in heaven. What is heaven? Well, Wayne Grudem, a theological kind of academic, says this. During this present age, the place where God dwells is frequently called heaven in Scripture. The Lord says, heaven is my throne. And Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus now has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. In fact, heaven may be defined as follows. Heaven is a place where God is most fully, where most where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. He continues, the greatest manifestation of God's presence to bless is seen in heaven, where he makes his glory known, and where angels and other heavenly creatures and redeemed saints all worship him. That's the academic version. 
And I'm not despising that. Again, I wish I could write words like that. But the Old Testament says this. This is Isaiah. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, lifted high and lifted up. Just try and envision this. And the train of his, of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresh, threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's holy, majestic, superior, other, more glorious, most high. Like we were singing today, what a beautiful name it is. You're starting to see some of the glory that we've been called to. How can we be satisfied with a religious form of prayer and worship when we serve a glorious king like that? So we say, your kingdom come. Whatever you've planned, Lord, it must be better than anything we could design or conceive of ourselves. We are limited in our thinking. You are limitless in your power. Come and heal our country, Lord. Come and heal our world. Where there's injustice, Father, please move. Your will be done. Because of your glory, because of your holiness, because we are your sons and your daughters, your beloved, your church, we say you must become greater. Greater in our lives, greater in our work, greater in our church, greater in our town. We say, Lord, this is your church. We serve no other God besides you. Let the knowledge of Scripture and the fulfillment of your promises happen in our day. That is a scary prospect. Particularly depending on where you sit in relation to end times and all that sort of thing. Again, that's like sovereignty of God. We'll have to Pick that up another time. But let your will be done. Is fulfill your promises, Lord. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. When we see the will of God and his kingdom in action, see the glory of heaven being manifest on earth. When lives are transformed, healing happens, it is a taste of heaven on earth. When we see these happen, it is heaven on earth. And it's a witness of what is to come. We know the ultimate fulfillment of Scripture is that Christ will return and every eye will see and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us all we need in this life, Lord. This is referring to our physical needs, not in a prosperity gospel kind of way. We don't want to put our faith into health and wealth gospel, uh, the gospel of success or seed faith or anything like that. We do not believe that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for us. We are seeking the prosperity that comes from looking to our Father in heaven, not from looking at the world and trying to replicate its paradigm of success. It's scriptural, however, to pray for blessing. A really well-known passage in in 1 Chronicles says this, Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, and that it may not pain me. And God granted him his request. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now we're going back into some more spiritual matters that are a part of our lives. This isn't about a physical debt. This is not to mean that we need to be, neither does it mean that we need to be repeatedly forgiven. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, that is, it is done. You've been set free. There is no more penalty for sin. In that sense, you've been fully forgiven. Rather, this is a daily getting before God, getting right with God for any recent sin or action that might kind of damage your relationship with God or hinder your relationship, including unforgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is no one here who at some point hasn't had to handle some disappointment, heartbreak, hardship, injury, emotional or physical. The temptation, though, is to obviously turn away from God. These are testing times when your faith is sometimes on the line. As a father, myself, I've got two girls. Probably saw them tapping away, inappropriately hitting tambourines and all that sort of thing in the worship. When they're in trouble or hurt, and they come running to me for help, do I turn them away? Certainly not. 
I embrace them, I hold them, I tell them it's okay, that they're loved. How much more would God embrace you when you come to him in times of trouble? Your father in heaven. While the evil one wants you to question, where is God? Our father in heaven is reaching out to you. He knows your need. He will provide for you. But it is easier said than done. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is the central point to all Jesus has done. And it seems fitting to make this the final point, because what is forgiveness? It's bringing to peace that which once caused you hurt or pain. The will of the Father is to bring peace to your life. No matter what you might face in the future, you can be at peace with those around you. Our perfect example, as always, is Jesus. Even though he gave himself up to death on the cross so that we could find uh, he gave himself up so he could, onto a death on the cross so we could find peace with the Father. In turn, we have to find peace with those around us. Otherwise, Scripture does say we run the risk of despising the work of Christ in our lives and losing that peace with God. When we forgive others, we're sharing the peace that we ourselves have received from God, which we didn't deserve but we were given, it was given to us regardless of that. I'm going to pray. We've got time to pray? Not really. <laughs> yeah? Okay. Um, I don't know how to do this bit. I'm always bad at this bit, but thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Father, I just pray that you would help us on our journeys to step out in faith. Make us a faithful people, Lord, who love you, who seek you, who want more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.